How are you doing? I'm doing very well, my friend. How are you? How's California this evening? Are you in California? Yeah, in California on, on lockdown once again and uh, just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Hey, that's the great attitude to have because Lord knows we're all <laughs> trying to do the same thing. You know, it was funny reading the book. Speaking of COVID, it, it was interesting that the book kind of closed talking about that and kind of curious. Did you reopen up the book to to get in the COVID stuff or was it literally happening while you were finishing the book? Priest had started that year, I think, as we mentioned in the book, we were having some great writing sessions around the beginning or so of March. At the same time, the whole COVID Thing was, was kicking up but it, at that point it wasn't really a pandemic it certainly most parts of the world so it was only when I, I got back here to Phoenix and then like everybody around the world tuned in to watch this horrible thing incrementally seem to grow day by day you know yeah so as, as far as as far as getting the book completed at that time of the world, it's it's remarkable, really. You know, I mean, things could have gone a different way because, well, all of the work that I did with Ian Gittings was in person. I always mention Ian right today because without him, this book wouldn't have happened. So we, we spent hours and hours and hours talking here in the kitchen in Phoenix, and then we did the same thing over in the house in, in England, in Walsall, my hometown. But all the good stuff happens in kitchens, right? All the chatter. <laughs> So that's what we did, and uh, that, that's how we we finished the book. I think just after, just at the start of the new year of this year, before we went into before we went into lockdown. Uh, if I've got my time zoning right, I tell you something, Mike Z. I don't know what day it is. You know, I have to keep my <laughs> What day is it? What month is it? I'm it's I'm with you on that. How we've all been turned upside down, haven't we? Yeah, we're, we're battling on, and the great news is this vaccine is with us now, and slowly but surely we'll be getting back to normal thank the lord can't wait for that and you know the the one thing that i loved uh reading early on in the book that i share with you is a love for a thesaurus i'm constantly using one in radio finding new ways to talk about the same music and happy to read your love of the thesaurus and curious if you still use one today and in this digital age do you have an app or a website or do you use the old school book to use it mike i am old school (laughs) i'll always be old school I've had various thesauri, that's plural for thesauruses. The one that I talk about briefly in the book, in Confess, when Roger Glover, who was producing Sin After Sin, mm-hmm. in the early days, we didn't have much communication going on because he was work, hard working with the rest of the band. But I was in the studio all the time. And I always had <laughs> was buried in the book, you know. One day he's walking across me. He goes, do you mind if I ask you a question? I go, oh, yeah, go, are you reading the Bible? <laughs> <laughs> no. I have read some of the Bible, but this is the thesaurus. This is my Bible of words because it's an absolute boon for lyricists or for anyone, authors, anyone in general. It's just wonderful. It's a wonderful resource to expand your vocabulary. So, yes, Mike, I still use that thesaurus, and I believe I've still got the same one that I used when I was making that Sin After Sin album all those years ago. Wow, same same exact one. You know, the Sin After Sin was another the, another topic I wanted to talk about with Roger Glover, and you would use a word in the, in the book, and I'm guessing it's more of a, a British term, but you had said that you had sacked him and wanted to learn exactly what that meant. Did that mean just give him a, a rough go? We sacked him, and that means we fired him. Ah. We fired. That's a British expression. That's a British expression for giving somebody the boot, the elbow. <laughs> or in the British case, you're fat, mate. You're fat. <laughs> Actually, this is really cool because 
I don't think I've ever found what that reference is. What does that reference mean? How did that did that term come into being to sack somebody? Because it, it, apparently it is a unique kind of word to to Great Britain, to the UK. I'll have to look that up, Mike. But uh, yeah, we sacked him. We sacked him. <laughs> <laughs> we booked him back because we realised what a great producer he was and still is. You know. So and and and, and as you know, on one of the firepower tour legs not too long ago we actually worked with deep purple yeah so it was just a, it was a, it was absolutely glorious to have deep purple and judas priest side by side following each other as we did um that u.s leg that was a real treat for other people yeah i was going to tell you especially with the timeline all being hazy i keep, can't remember what year that was year two years ago now <laughs> i think but I, I wanted to thank you for doing that tour because i was a priest fan and new purple kind of on the surface you know the the big songs and all that but absolutely fell in love with them that night i mean if priest is a definition of metal i think deep purple is a definition of rock well that's very true that's very true and all of us in priest are, are massive purple fans as are millions of people around the world on many occasions i reference as being a real inspiration for me as a as a singer as a metal singer when i heard him singing and wailing and screaming on some of those you know very very early purple albums when i was kind of getting my getting my place in the band and and you know getting an understanding of what the voice could do i was totally in awe of of what uh, Ian Gillen was creating, you know. Yeah. And so, yeah, man, what a great guy. It's another example of, you know, how life has changed certain bands as it has to Purple, but they still go out, they still do great shows, they still play all the great classics, and they release new material. They, they had a new album drop recently, can... what's it called? Whoosh. Yeah. Up on my head, I think it was. So, man, they've been going longer than Priest, I think. <laughs> no, Priest has been going for 50 years. It's just, it's glorious. It's just unbelievable and great. Why do you think you gave Roger such a, a hard time back then? Do you think it was just <laughs> being young and dumb and e- egotistical? <laughs> yeah. I think that what it was, the recording side of Priest got off to a little bit of a rocky start. And I talk a little bit about that in the book Confess. The book Confess is not, is not about Judas Priest. There are certain anecdotes and information that are vital to the story. But we do reference the very first time we made a record for a little label, part of the big Decca group at the time from the UK. It's Roger Bain, who, of course, we were excited to work with because of his connection with Sabbath. Anyway, that really didn't turn out. It was one of these, you know, Dickens' great expectations that you expect. <laughs> and the final result was nowhere near what we had wanted to achieve. You know, we had that to carry with us onto the Sad Rings of Destiny album, which is such a beloved metal album uh, by Priest. And things were getting better. We were, we were more in control. So here we go for our third record, Sin After Sin, and our first big major label break, UBS Columbia at the time. We thought we knew it all, you know, <laughs> we know exactly <laughs> what we do. Wrong. Even now, we use a producer or producers as we, as we did on Firepower with Andy Snape and uh, Tom Allen, Colonel Tom and, and Mark Exeter. You know, I think that's how we got off on the wrong foot, you know. He was saying one thing, we were saying another, and Roger was very determined because the label had told him what they wanted and he, he was doing his job and we were we were banging heads so you're sacked and then <laughs> it's like he leaves the studio and then okay we're not quite sure how we get this sound and we're not quite sure how we get that up there you need a producer as well as arrangements and all the other great things that producers do 
we went had a dinner with with Roger and, and the boys when we were in San Diego on that uh, purple uh, priest legging uh, firepower tour, and we talked about that. He also mentions that he still never got paid for doing the job, <laughs> which is remarkable. It's great, but it's so cool to talk about him and, and to talk about the great Deep Purple band. You know, jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, speaking of uh, producers, I wanted talk a little too i was always under the impression sure. when that band came out that it, the two was you and trent Reznor. but come to find out it was you and john lowry or aka john five that really put that together yeah yeah and bob marley bob marley has to be acknowledged because i camped out up in calabasas and uh died in a hotel there and uh, worked that album together with uh John Five, as he's now known, incredible guitar player, good friend. Same with Bob Marley. And, and this curious moment, some time later, when we pretty much demoed out the album, and I'm in New Orleans with a friend of mine driving around New Orleans, and we go past this building, and he goes, that's Trent Reznor's new studio. And I go, oh, that's really cool. He goes, yeah, you should go and knock on the door and say, hi, I don't do that. I don't do, I don't do stuff like that, you know. That's to be a little bit of formality. So we drove past, we did a bit more driving around town, he was showing me the sights, and we went past the same building again, I said, stop. Something tells me I need to get out, get out the car and go and knock on the door. I said, come back in an hour. So he goes off. I knock on the what is now the infamous Sharon Tate door that Trent Reznor got and put on his building. And uh, this embodied voice comes out of his speaker. Oh, hey, Robert's up, man, coming in. And I'm looking, and the door opens, and it's, it's Dave the Rave Ogilvy from Skinny Poppy. And he's, yeah, oh, man, he's so cool to meet you. Big fan of Priest, blah, blah, blah. Trent will be down in an hour, an hour or so. Come and hang out and chill and we'll, you know, talk and play some music. So that's how that connection with Trent worked out. Trent came in. Unbeknownst to me, Trent has always been a lifelong Priest metalhead fan. He asked me what I was doing in town. I said, I was here for Mardi Gras. And uh, what do you do musically? Oh, I'm just jamming with, with this John Lowry and, and, um, and this great producer. And, you know, have you got any music? Yeah, i got a cassette. Let's have a listen. So we go in the studio, play the play some songs. And he's, you know, tapping his foot. And, hey, this is really cool, man. Goes, Would you mind leaving the cassette with me? Yeah. Leave the cassette, swap phone numbers. A few days later, he calls me. And said, um, would you consider me coming in as, you know, executive producer overlooking the whole project with, um, with Ray Bogleby? And that's how it happened, man. Just so, so amazing. The funny back end of the story is that he invited me on his float for the Mardi Gras the next day. Mm -hmm. So I was back in the studio at seven in the morning having breakfast and putting the gear on for the Mardi Gras parade. And off we went together doing um, doing what you do, throwing the beads out. <laughs> so that's just a beautiful story. Uh, one of these things, you, you know, <laughs> is it real? Are you making it up? Well, no, it happened. And there's so many beautiful uh, references to, to these glorious things that have happened to me in my, um, in my life. You know, I'm, I'm just so grateful for all of them. And uh, that's just one of many. I'm curious, is Thomas a big metal fan? Because speaking of Nine Inch Nails, my wife isn't a big metal fan, but that's one of the, the bands that we agree on. It got me thinking, it, it, I wonder, is Thomas a big metal head? You know, this is so cool that you should ask me this, because we've just come back from our night walk. We go for a walk around the hills here every night for an hour and just stretch our legs and keep my lungs working. And we were talking about music. He's just finished working out, and every, whenever he works out, keeping the flab off, he um, listens <laughs> to metal. And, and it's all old-school metal. And we were talking about some of the greatest metal ever happening through, for the most part, the 80s, the middle back end of the 80s, most definitely the start of the 90s. Before I even met Thomas, when he was serving in the Marine Corps, based out of Camp Pendleton, 
him and his bodies were just mad for metal, as Marines still are. It's just, it fits, you know, fits the role type of thing. You know, he would tell me stories, you know, he, he's done some very, very important work, you know, in Somalia and, and, and in the Gulf. And I've had other friends in the Marine Corps particularly that would blast out metal before they went to work, if you know what I mean by that. Yeah. And so, yes, he was a metalhead. Slayer was his all-time, one of his all-time, probably at the top of the list, metal band. So when, when he and I became an item and uh, we actually worked with Slayer and, and, you know, he stood on the side of the stage and saw Kerry and the boys. He was like, a you know, a jaw on the floor type of deal. <laughs> so he's a metalhead. And much like the Marine Corps, that the, the, the believe there's a thing in the Marine Corps is like once a Marine, always a Marine. It's the same with metal. Once a metalhead, always a metalhead. That's for sure. Yeah, I must want to blame this this whole pandemic on Slayer. They retire at the end of the year, and then bam, now we're hit with this whole pandemic in 2020. Just as soon as Slayer hangs it up. Oh man, <laughs> you know I would love for them to come back. I, I know these things happen, and. You know, I'm going to reference Motley Crue watching the, <laughs> the end of their career. At the end of their career, we're going to write it in blood. Here's the contract. And they come back, thankfully, with all those other great acts that, that would obviously hopefully be going out on that stadium tour next year. It's the same with Slayer. I'm a, I'm a massive Slayer fan. I would, it would be such a thrill for them to even come back and do one or two shows, wherever that might be, even if it's in L.A. You know, such a great band and they, they mean so much to metal. You know, they're, they're just one of a kind. There's, not, there's nothing like remotely close to Slayer. No, not at all. You know, speaking of, of Slayer and, and Thomas declaring that his favorite band, I'm curious, did you ever ask him, like, hey, what's your favorite song of mine? Like, have, have you ever asked him his favorite priest or solo <laughs> tune? Or have, have you had the courage to ask that? Or has he ever offered that information? <laughs> you know, Mike Z, I think that's the first time I've ever been asked this question. And... When you've been together with a partner for over a thousand years, <laughs> <laughs> you never really, you never really talk about stuff like that, do you? Do you know? I can probably make a, an educated guess <laughs> that Painkiller is his favourite album by yeah. Priest, simply because, uh, again, of the intensity of that record, the way that Scott kicks it off. It's, it's an unusual record that's a metal album that starts with drums like that. But and then we're off at the off at the races, you know. It's just all hell bent for leather, manical metal. Uh, it, it only slows down a tad with the touch of evil, and that's got some big metal balls, you know. So I, w- I would probably say painkiller. You know, speaking of, of painkiller, and I know you guys are are always working on new music, but to me, it always seemed like that was kind of ripe for a sequel. You know, like Alice Cooper did "Welcome to My Nightmare 2, and there's been other albums that had sequels. And being such a great character, I wonder if that would be ever a consideration for you guys. The joy of Priest is that, by definition, I think every record that we've made is what we call it's, it's got its own legs to stand on. So from rock and roll all the way through to firepower, I think there's a defining separation of where the band is in that moment in time. And we've always been very strong on avoiding replication. That's not to say that, you know, you can have these intense, fast metal songs that have a similar flavor, but they have very strong individual identities. And I think it's a case of, you know, let sleepy metal dogs lie (laughs) in that respect to reference you know, to painkiller because I think if you if you try to emulate the real soul and spirit of painkiller, I'm sure we'd we'd have a really good go at it, but it wouldn't it wouldn't capture it, it wouldn't come it wouldn't come close. 
it's just such a unique record in, in so many ways. You know, the songs, the engineering, the, the sound of the hi-hat, the sound of, you know, the mic I use, all these vitally important nuances that go into making a record. You can't really truly replicate them and, and capture the essence again. So I think it's best to leave it, leave it as it is. Of course, the beautiful thing is that uh, the Firepower record that we released, uh, the last Priest record, our studio album, that's become, got a tremendous amount of focus and, and traction for what it did compared to the rest of the records that were previous to that one. And that's the joy of making music, Mike, you know. Any band will tell you, you never really know what the outcome is going to be. And when we got in the studio to make Firepower happen after we'd written the songs, we brought in this incredible production team that made amazing things happen. We had another really special moment in this band's history. You know, you reference Priest and people go, oh, we started Rings of Destiny. No, it was British Steel. No, man, it was Screamers Avengers. No, no, not going to lie, it's Painkiller. And now for some people, it's Firepower is the one. So this is just uh, part of this other never-ending metal journey that Priest is on to keep making fresh metal happen. Love it. And look forward to more music coming. And speaking of new music, I was curious if you had heard uh, David Ellison recently put out a solo covers album and included Free Will Burning. Curious if, if you've had a chance to listen to it yet. I know of this. I haven't had a chance. Um, there's a good possibility that as soon as we finish talking, I'm going to dive in and, <laughs> and check it out. Dave's a great great bass player and all his wonderful work he's done with Megadeth and all of his other projects he's a really cool guy we're, we're friends I'll check that out when anyone covers your work your music it's a good feeling man you know you never know where your music is going within the bands that you are friends with and so when something like that happens that's a joy that's a really really cool thing to do and I can't wait to check it out man talked to David recently about the album and he he made an interesting point comparison between Megadeth and and Judas Priest saying you know Megadeth would have a lot of bass and drum grooves like peace cells and stuff like that where Priest would more have drum fills to start songs like Exciter and Painkiller yeah yeah this is great this is this is what again brings in definition to bands you reference some bands are referenced by a screaming singer or some bands are referenced by the amazing guitar player you know uh, and, and that's that's a good um, that's a good observation there between between Priest and, and, and Megadeth. Well, we, we've had some great times together on the road. We were out. We did do a painkiller tour with Megadeth, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I think it was Testament in, in the early 90s. But more recently, we worked together in Megadeth, mostly in Europe. Uh, we've done festivals and we've done some solo dates together. But that's a, that's a real treat to get Priest and Megadeth on the same stage. Oh, yeah. That, that's a lot of devastation right there. <laughs> <laughs> the Us Festival, bringing it closer to home where where the radio station is in, in San Bernardino area of California. And I'm so glad that you included that in the book and talked about the Us Festival, which was that the biggest show you ever played? Well, this is so cool. You know, we, we go back with KCAL for many, many years. You guys have been supporting Priest and Metal and Rock and you know, forever. So this is just a great reference to that part of California, DeBoer. Is it still called DeBoer now? I yeah. Don't know, uh-huh. but I mean, that first big massive monster festival that was put on by the Apple people, I don't think there was really much of a facility there, was the mic? Didn't they just build a stage because it was like this natural amphitheater? There was nothing permanent then. No, not and, like it is uh, now. Yeah. 
They put a stage together in the backstage and trailers and so forth, and everybody flew in by helicopter. Because, as you know, 300,000 people showed up for the metal day, and people were literally doing the Woodstock thing. They were abandoning their cars and trudging through that, that summer hell heat to get into that festival site. But what a special event that was. You know, it was a three-day event, or three- or four-day event, and the metal day, as we all knew, was the biggest day in terms of attendance. And you look at the bands that played on that day, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy to see all of those names of, of the great bands that, that played there. And um, and as you as you know, it was just uh, it was just, just celebrated an anniversary not too long ago, and we were very happy to be included. Uh, I, I put a little clip on my, on my Instagram recently, Rob Halford Legacy, where I burst out onto the stage on the on the Harley Davidson through the Marshall Stacks. Yeah, and man, that was just that was just a tingle. You know, you, you feel the buzz just talking about it now. A once in a lifetime, never to be repeated uh, metal experience. Incredible. Do you get into uh, New Year's resolutions or just do whatever it is that you set out to do? <laughs> you know, yeah. Do people still do that? I, I, I remember it was a thing when I was growing up, you know, and in, in, in my my late teens, early 20s, that was a thing, the New Year's resolution. I suppose it's valuable if you can keep to it. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't seem like I, anyone I'm ever like does, that, though. I'm like that old dog. I'm like the old metal dog. You can't really teach me any new tricks. So I, think <laughs> I'm a, I think I'm beyond resolutions at this point in my life. But I think it, I think it's fun. I think it's fun and some good can come of it if you know if you have a resolution that you stick to. Have you got one, Mike? I haven't. I just kind of try and do it. I, I keep the silent resolution. I, I do it amongst myself, but I don't make it public. It seems like if you make it public, then it doesn't happen, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah I'm all for that. Keep it to yourself. My resolution is a, a Judas Priest concert in 2021. How about that? How about some live oh, music man. in 2021? We're so... We're so looking forward to getting out on the road, you know. Oh, it's been tough, hasn't it, for, for all of us in the music world. Thank goodness for Kay, Cal and Radio, because I love my radio. And, um, you know, listening to music and people like ourselves talking away here, having good times. It's so important, especially for your mental health. But I tell you, this is going to be great. This is going to be great. All of my friends in the music world we've all re replanned and rescheduled our tours like Priest is doing we're going out next year to pick up on this 50th anniversary that we've had to kind of put on hold so we've got that to do that's going to take us through all of 2021 I would say and then of course we've got the Aussie tour to do in the UK and Europe in 2022 <laughs> um, so you know I tell you Mike uh, my life is pretty much planned out for the next two or three years as it comes to work and a lot of that will be seeing our beautiful heavy metal maniacs again you know as it is for, for all the metal and rock bands all music you know we thrive on our fans we're nothing without our fans and it makes us complete when we see each other and we have a great night out and we're screaming and we're roaring having some drinks and partying and just having a good time that's something so special and, and we're going to enjoy it even more when we get back to uh, doing all that again i can't wait can't wait for that 50th anniversary tour thank you so much thanks for the book and can't wait for that 50th anniversary tour next year all the best to you mike and your family have a great holiday season i'll see you in the 21 thank you rob have a good one bye-bye thank you buddy bye-bye now bye-bye dude you rock thank you so much for checking out the entire podcast don't forget to hit that subscribe button and follow me on the socials at MikeZ967. Follow me, I'll follow you back. Lastly, don't miss the show. 
Saturday nights at 11 p.m., Wired in the Empire on 96.7 KCAL Rocks in Southern California. Always streaming online at kcalfm.com. Adios.